the packets were right there. And I told him that wasn't supposed to be a joke, I don't think, but it kind of is because it is more than just a handout. And Jeanette told me this morning when I told her it was four pages, she said, no offense, but if I'm coming to your Sunday school class, I would just throw it away afterwards. So, <laughs> so there's that. Do, do with the handout what you'd like. Um, do what now? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Don't throw it away yet. Yeah. Um, but grab that. There's a whole lot on there, obviously. Uh, I put pretty much all the scripture we'll be looking at on there as well as a bunch of quotes. So. Um, so that you can have them for later, if you so choose to keep it and not toss it. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, we'll jump in here. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can be together this morning. We thank you uh, for the way that you provide us this opportunity to study your word together. Thank you that we can gather to worship you, and we thank you for the great promises you make to be with us when we gather around your word as your people. And we pray that that you would send your spirit this morning uh, to be our teacher. And we pray that you would uh, meet us in the midst of uh, our um, our distractions, our questions, uh, even our particular struggles when it comes to being changed more and more into the image of Jesus as we look at this important topic this morning. We pray that we would come to know Jesus more. Uh, He's the one that we need to see and behold and worship. Uh, He's the one uh, in whom our life is found. We pray that that would become very real for us this morning as well as uh, throughout the next few months as we look at what it means to be changed more and more into his image. So we pray you'd be with us now. Bless us. Bless me as I teach, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do for the next three months is look generally at spiritual formation. Um, Talking really about what growth in the Christian life looks like. And I want to use, I'm using that language of spiritual formation on purpose uh, because I think it can get at, uh, it might cause us to think about this topic a bit differently than if I were just to say growth in the Christian life. And I think some of that will come out in a bit. Um, Yeah, what what I hope, too, is is that as we actually look at some of the uh, honest struggles that we have with this, that uh, this will not just be a class on uh, spiritual formation but that we could actually have some, uh, some disciplines, some sort of uh, practices that we can engage in together in, the, in between our times. And then uh, actually maybe something that would even extend beyond this class. I was, uh, I've read a number of books on this topic and there are many authors who point out how easy it is to read about spiritual formation. Um, rather than actually do it and participate in it, uh, which is certainly true. And I think the danger is there for us as well as we come to this in a Sunday school class format. Um, so this morning what I want to do is just give a, an overview, an introduction. I know this, there, there's plenty on this handout. We won't look at every single thing on there. Um, so let me start with this. I want to start with a question here. We're, we've got these four points here. Problems of spiritual formation, process of spiritual formation, the practices of spiritual formation, and then the purposes. I both love and hate that all those start with a P. Um, 
Okay, uh, to get us going here, what what are some of the what are some of the biggest obstacles that we face in being transformed into the likeness of Jesus? What are the biggest obstacles of growth or to growth in the Christian life? Our flesh, residing sin that remains in us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our self will. Our self will. Okay. Yeah, you mean even along the lines of our, our selfishness or self-focus even? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's, uh, yeah, even instincts as to what growth would look like and the shape it would take. But I like the language of misdirection too. We're going to talk about desires a lot. And these, um, the, our, our history, the, our patterns, the ways, uh, the, the tendencies that we've developed over the course of our lives has a huge bearing then on the, the people that we are now. And, and those are long-standing, in some cases, deep-rooted patterns that are very difficult to break. Our what else? Yes. Culture. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next week, we'll look at um, what Jamie Smith calls cultural liturgies. Basically, his point is that we are constantly being shaped or formed by something. And there are uh, what he calls liturgies, these practices that we participate in, things that these stories that we inhabit in the world that are constantly forming us and shaping us to a particular end. And of course, what we're doing here is a, a counter formation that's happening. Yeah, what else? Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Say, did you say pressure? Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, I think sometimes, and this could be the case for a lot of, a lot of y'all in here, that you have tried various means of growth in the Christian life many different times. I mean, look at, for instance, uh, reading the Bible in a year. Like, this is probably about the time, early February, if you haven't already uh, stopped doing that, it's coming, right? Um, and there's so many practices in the Christian life where you set forth, set out with these great intentions and then you, you, you fail miserably. And it gets, you think, you're almost fearful of saying, am I even going to do this again? Why try, you know? What else? Idols. Idols, yes. Yeah, again, good uh, with our hearts being directed and oriented towards other ways that we might be satisfied apart from Jesus. And saying no to those idols having our hearts kind of torn free from them is hard and painful. What else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, you get to it. It's not great. You know what I mean? <laughs> that you, you get to a point where you have, uh, where you, you've maybe worked through some of the, uh, some of the big obvious sorts of struggles that everybody else sees and you get real comfortable then. I think I'm, I'm not going to really push beyond this. You know, I'm pretty comfortable with where I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should ask Siri what she thinks about it. Oh, that's good. Can't take your request right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so some others I had jotted down. These are great. And these are kind of falling under the these. I have two headings. Obviously, these are these overlap a lot and are a bit arbitrary. The personal problems and theological problems. Uh, the personal one, cynicism. Maybe thinking that we don't get much out of these practices. 
And so you, you tend to give up failure. We've already talked about that. Uh, they seem unrealistic and impractical. Just think my life is so busy and packed full right now to start talking about this is really is, is necessarily going to be just this Sunday school kind of thing. It's just not going to happen in the rest of my life because I've got so much going on. Uh, and then some theological problems. I think that this is important uh, given our tradition as well. And the, the first I'd say it, that I, and you might think of this as well, is legalism. And this takes a couple forms here. Um, one is that we, we subtly think that an engagement in these spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices is going to somehow earn our favor with God. And then so our response to that is that we're going to do them for that reason. Um, and so we subtly think that by engaging in these practices, God's going to be happier with us. Okay, So we do them. But there's kind of the flip side of that as well. And this might even be more our tendency. I, I felt more of this, I think. Because there's a temptation to make this into something legalistic, we don't do them at all. You know? Can I say, like, I'm not going to practice that, this because if I do, there is such a temptation to undercut the grace of justification that I'm just not going to do them at all. Obviously, that, that's not what Jesus desires for us either. And we, ha- we even have an aversion to the word discipline. But that, that sounds like, eh, I, that doesn't sound very gracious to me. Uh, another, another potential theological problem that, that I think we can face is one of self-perfection, where we kind of engage in these disciplines or these practices in a Christless, um, spiritless, uh, graceless way to where it almost becomes some form of self-help. And I have a couple of uh, verses on your sheet there that, that get at that from Colossians 2, where Paul's dealing with some kind of heresy that has to do with uh, some sort of asceticism, some kinds of practices that were being practiced apart from Jesus. And what he says is these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And then Jesus speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 15. Uh, a final theological issue I think that we face, and this is, a, this is an important one, is that we have or tend towards a reductionistic view of the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. You can begin to view the gospel as merely a get out of hell free card. That all the gospel really has to say to you is about where you're going when you die. And and so the, the, the relevance then for the gospel to your life now becomes secondary in a lot of ways, right? Um, Dallas Willard calls this uh, the great omission in the Great Commission, talking about discipleship, uh, that, that this category of discipleship and becoming an apprentice to Jesus uh, is it falls out of a lot of evangelical Christian practice. Here's what he says uh, about this in this book. And by the way, all the quotes from Willard on these sheets are from the Great Omission, which is a great book. The result is that we have multitudes of professing Christians who well may be ready to die but obviously are not ready to live and can hardly get along with themselves, much less with others. So we have this reduced view of gospel of the gospel that says it is only about being made right with God and then being able to go to heaven when we die in the end. Yeah, Alexis. I think that another, kind of on the theological vein, another way that our spiritual formation can be kind of crippled is just like 
um, taking one attribute of God and letting that be our God, like um, the sovereignty of God. Okay, God's sovereign. I don't really need to pray because yeah. he's in charge and he's going to do what he wants to do. I don't really need to serve because he's going to take care of that need no matter what. Do you know what I mean? Yes, so yes. For me, that has in times kind of squelched my prayer life because I was just thinking, well, God's in charge anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, truncating view of the view of God to where we don't have his full-orbed uh, character and who he is and how he reveals himself. That's Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Daniel. Uh, you, you mentioned about uh, if we spend time, God's going to reward us. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But sometimes, for me personally, uh-huh. I spend time just for my emotional psyche. I feel better about myself. I mean, I know yeah. I know my grace is going to be, God's going to control that. But also but from an emotion, and I don't think it's wrong by any means, mm-hmm. but we tend to feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So maybe even that's kind of a personal, uh, a personal issue where you think about... Um, Maybe skewed motives as to why you would practice these things and going for an emotional uh, good feeling rather than knowing God more. Good, yeah. So in general, I think we could summarize these as, um, as kind of coming to the Bible and feeling a real disconnect between the description of what the Christian life is and what's actually happening in us, or at least what's supposed to be happening in us, a disconnect from that, this description of it, uh, within our experience of it. So this kind of discrepancy or disconnect between description of the scriptures, that's kind of fun, description of the scriptures, and our experience of that, okay? Uh, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp call this the gospel gap. That's another way to put this, sort of a, a gap between what we profess to believe and our experience of it, and then sort of an absence of an appreciation for the present benefits of the gospel. So these are the problems, generally. There are more I'm sure we could talk about. We're going to keep moving. The process, then, of spiritual formation. Um, I, I, what I want this to be is, is a, uh, a few minutes here on both who we are, and then also what salvation is, because this is going to this is going to be a snapshot, but it becomes incredibly important if we're talking about spiritual formation to, to see how Jesus talks about or how the Bible talks generally about change in the Christian life. So this isn't as much on the practices of it, but sort of the underlying theology behind it that speaks of who we are, what we've fallen into or fallen away from, and then what are we are being restored or redeemed towards or for. So, first, creation. We're created in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26-28, with rightly ordered desires for Him, that is, for God, for one another, and for the world. So, th- this is a point that I want to spend a little bit of time on, that we are fundamentally desiring creatures rather than rational creatures. Uh, if you were in the class on John last semester, we talked about this about with the woman at the well where Jesus speaks of thirst there uh, and being satisfied by him. Here's what I mean by this. Not that we are uh, that we are irrational all the time or that our intellect doesn't matter, but that what fundamentally drives us is this seed of desire. 
We live and move in the world by doing that which we love. We move towards something that we love and desire most. Um, this is pretty obvious if you think about your own experience. You know what is healthy for you in terms of food and exercise. We don't do that, though, right? Um, all of us are going to transgress those things tonight, probably, with the Super Bowl, right? Um, we, we go for and move towards that which we desire most. Um, we'll continue to talk about this, but Jamie Smith wrote a book on this called Desiring the Kingdom, quote on your sheet. We are ultimately liturgical animals. Don't let that language of animal throw you off too much there. Because we are fundamentally desiring creatures. We are what we love. And our love is shaped, primed, and aimed by liturgical practices that take hold of our gut and aim our heart to certain ends. So we are lovers, we are desirers, and we are worshipers. Okay? This is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Again, this doesn't exclude the mind or the intellect. It's just saying that we aren't fundamentally or primarily thinkers. We're not brains on a stick. We are embodied creatures with a set of desires that, 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 that guide and, um, and dictate, determine almost our action in the world. And so for that reason, we could say that the heart is primary. Okay, that, that the heart is sort of the seat of who we really are. A couple of verses on that. Proverbs four twenty three. Keep your heart with all vigilant for with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And then familiar passage in Luke six uh, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its fruit for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And then 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So, uh, because the heart is primary in this way, we are, we, we are, dic- we're not dictated. That's not the word I want to use. Um, we move in the world as those who are desiring creatures. Okay. Uh, so we have this desire and the satisfaction of that desire. Secondly, found in God himself, the satisfaction of it's found in him. A couple quotes there. Man is a hungry being for he, but he is hungry for God behind all the hunger of our life is God. All desire is finally a desire for him. We're created with this desire. Familiar quote from Augustine's confessions. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So we're created with this set of desires that find their ultimate satisfaction, fulfillment in God. That's a good thing. That's how we were created. Jesus gets at this plenty of times in John. We already mentioned the woman at the well. Think of John six, where he's talking about being the bread of life. Um, He wants us to be satisfied in him. God is the one who will satisfy these longings and these desires that we have within us. Okay, so that is to say then that desires are not inherently bad. Our desires are not the problem per se. The direction of our desires can be problematic, but that we are desiring creatures is how God made us. They're God given in that way. And then finally, there's a constant competition occurring for our love. Um, we already mentioned this with Rachel's comment earlier. Um, this is great. Like being the day of the Super Bowl, this will be like case study uh, in a big way for us. Just look at the commercials, right? 
I mean, there's a constant competition that is aimed not at your rational, intellectual thinking. It's aimed at what you love and what you desire. And there will be images and things put forward this afternoon that are intended to cause you to love something different than Jesus and his kingdom. That's what's happening. Uh, So there's this constant competition there. Created in this way. Now, the fall, what happened in the fall? Sin has marred that image. It hasn't done away with it completely. It's marred that image in us. And now our desires are disordered and misdirected. Look at uh, verse 25 there of Romans 1. This is what happens with our worship. We don't cease to worship. What changes with the fall is the object of our worship. So verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So this is a fundamental statement of what idolatry is, worshiping something in the creation rather than the creator. So this is what's happened with the fall. This image of God has been marred in us and our desires are all out of whack. Uh, Thirdly, then, redemption. What has happened now? Uh, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has done this. In union with Jesus, he restores the image of God in us and reorders our desires for God, one another, and the world. Okay, this is his project of restoration in us. And I want to bring a lot of emphasis in on these present benefits of the gospel. What Jesus intends for us now as those united to him as members of his kingdom. Okay, so uh, first we are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. This is such a huge, huge topic. We'll just give it a quick little summary here. This is all over Paul's letters, but it's also in uh, if you think about John 15, where Jesus speaks of himself as the vine and, and we as the branches. Right. Uh, that we abide in him. We are connected to him in this intimate life-giving relationship where he actually communicates his life to us by the spirit. This is, this is the way John talks a lot in his gospel. Paul uses the language of in Christ over and over again. In Christ, by Christ, through Christ, uh, in him, through him, all, all over the place we see that. And, and a way to think about this is that it's within this, this relationship, this, this vital living relationship with Jesus by the Spirit, that every good thing that Jesus has done comes to us. It's in the context of that relationship being united to him. The way uh, Mike Sherritt used to put this is that what is true of Christ is true of you. You're in this relationship with Jesus in this intimate bond. And so Calvin puts it this way. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we're separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. Okay, this is the fundamental way we need to think about salvation. United to Jesus. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, there are all kinds of places we could look for this, but uh, Romans 6 is a great one. Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then uh, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we are united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Every good thing that he's accomplished for us comes to us in that relationship. Okay? Huge, huge point that we're united to Jesus. This will be foundational for the way that we think about spiritual practices. Okay? So in this relationship then, Jesus restores the image of God in us. He's remaking the image in us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then Colossians 3, the entire chapter of Colossians 3 is fantastic on this point. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then the way Paul says it in Galatians 4 is that um, he's longing for them to be uh, for Christ to be formed in them. So this is the way that that uh, the New Testament talks about what Jesus has come to do, that he's restoring the image of God in us. Uh, okay, so so the, those are the two big things right there. That being united to Jesus and having this image restored in us, which means that our desires are being reshaped, reformed, redirected, reordered. Okay? Uh, I have this third point on here because I think this could be helpful as well, particularly if when you hear the words spiritual disciplines, you start thinking that it's undercutting grace in some way. And that's the, the, the importance here is that is the difference between justification and sanctification. If we understand union with Christ as being this primary way that we need to think about our salvation, then this is much less confusing. OK, but here are the differences between these uh, between justification, which is this act of God's free grace where he declares us righteous. Our sin is imputed to Jesus. Uh, Jesus's righteousness is imputed to us. Okay, so uh, and then sanctification, I have the Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer on there, which is uh, which has the differences here. So here here are the differences Uh, with justification. It's a one time act. Sorry. Yeah. One time act of God's free grace. He declares you to be righteous. Okay, it's a one time thing with sanctification. It's an ongoing work. God continues to be at work in us, changing us, making us more into the image of Jesus. Uh, With justification, righteousness is imputed. Okay, it's imputed to us. It's a legal term. It's counted to us. Uh, With sanctification, there is actual transformational infused righteousness, if you want to put it that way. That was the way the larger catechism puts it. There's actual substantial change within you. It's not just mere legal talk. Okay. And it's ongoing in that way. In justification, sin is pardoned. In sanctification, sin is subdued or put to death, we could say, is mortified. Uh, in justification, God alone acts. It's something that God alone does. He declares you righteous based on what Jesus has done. With sanctification, God and we work. We are working with God in the process of our sanctification. This is where we can get kind of like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Wait, wait, we do something? We're supposed to do something? Yeah, we are. In our sanctification, we are called to act, to participate in this. In justification, we are completely passive, utterly passive. Sanctification, 
We are active, and so is God. Justification is perfectly complete right away. You are declared righteous, and that will never change. It's done. (coughs) Sanctification is a progressive work. It's ongoing. It's working towards perfection, on and on. Okay? So then, shorter catechism definition of sanctification. It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. You see that more and more we are enabled, we are enabled to more and more do this in a progressive way. One of the greatest little two-verse sections to, to find this in the Scriptures is Philippians 2. Where Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we all squirm a little bit. What's he saying? Well, he's saying that we're content. We're to continue to work out the implications of our salvation to pursue change. Why? Verse 13, because it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the way Murray put this is that we work because God works in sanctification. And then a great quote from Dallas Willard that he, in the Great Omission, it was almost in every single chapter, but it's a great, great quote. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. I think that's really, really helpful. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Keep that in mind throughout this semester as we look at these. Uh, any quick questions on this? I know I'm kind of moving quickly here. Would you say grace is God's merit? Grace is... Uh, something that we can't earn? Yeah, grace is something that... Yeah, yes. Grace is a gift. Say it that way. Yeah. Uh, and so it's opposed to earning because it's a gift, but not opposed to effort. In other words, something is justification is instantaneous. Yes. Sanctification is a process. Yes, sir. That's right. Um, Okay, so uh, because it's this process by which we're more and more transformed to the image of Jesus, uh, I want to look at the practices then of spiritual formation. Um, Okay, so so the practices, just as we talk about the process, has to take into account who we are, what salvation is. So our practices need also to take into account who we are and what salvation is. Okay, this is going to be important. So the necessity of spiritual practices, a few points on this one, spiritual practices are more than the acquisition of new information. We are worshipers. Remember, we are what we love. We are desirers. And for that reason, we need more than just information. It can't just be some download of information that will then result in a changed life. Okay? Now, new information is essential and important. It's a key component being renewed in our minds, right? But that's not exclusively what we need. Our spiritual practices must take into account more than just a download of information. And I think this is where we in our tradition can kind of fall off the wrong direction here because we do have a rich intellectual understanding of the gospel. And it's easy to equate an acquisition of facts with Christian growth. That's just not, it's not the case. There's more to it than that. So our practices need to take that into account. Um, Jamie Smith has a great, uh, great illustration of this, uh, of how information is not just enough, where um, he's in the middle of writing this, the second book in this series, it's called Imagining the Kingdom. 
And he's reading Wendell Berry's Bringing It to the Table, um, which is that Wendell Berry is a, uh, he's very much into kind of local food. He's a, he lives on a farm, um, sustainable food practices kind of guy. And he's standing, he's reading this book of essays called Bringing It to the Table in the middle of the Costco food court, which is like completely antithetical to everything in this book. And he's loving this book and he's about to order a hot dog, you know. And he, he said, it struck me that information is not enough. You know, I can read this and be persuaded by it intellectually, but it's not changing my behavior. I still am going to order this hot dog. So, uh, so we need more than, than just information. And then secondly, then, it engages the whole person. I just would emphasize that that would include our bodies. Our bodies matter. Okay? God created us as embodied souls. And the body is not bad. The body is good. We will live forever in bodies. Okay? Uh, the new heavens and the new earth will be a physical embodied existence with resurrected and glorified creation. Okay? Um, so it, it's going to take into account the whole self, our heart, our thoughts, emotions, will, our bodies, and our social relationships. All these things matter when we talk about spiritual practices. Quote there from uh, Romans 12 and then 1 Corinthians 6 that emphasize the body. Thirdly, spiritual practices must be intentional, which is to say they need to be planned. They don't, this sort of growth doesn't just happen. Okay, because we are called to be active and not passive in this. They require effort to put ourselves in the way of what Jesus is doing. Okay, to give ourselves to those ways that Jesus says, I'm going to impart my life to you through these things, through the word, through worship, through the sacraments, through prayer, um, through many other things we'll look at this semester. But these are the ways that Jesus gives himself to us. And we look at other parts of our lives, Super Bowl, I'm going to wear out the Super Bowl illustration this morning. Uh, you think about all that goes into the excellence with which these guys uh, do what they do. All the many hours it takes to do that. When we think about learning an instrument, we realize this is going to take practice, right? It doesn't just happen. There's, there's an analogy there to growth in the spiritual life. Stuff just doesn't happen to us. It's, it requires practice. It requires effort. And again, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So we've got to keep that in mind. So it's to be intentional so that Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 9, just look at 26 there, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. So very, very active in the way that he's talking about it. Fourthly, spiritual practices shape and redirect our loves. I'm going to just pass over that this morning because that's what we're going to talk about next week when we look at worship. Um, we, uh, we are constantly participating in those things that would shape and direct our loves, that are influencing and forming what we desire. And so what we want to desire is Jesus and his kingdom. That's the vision of the good life that we want to work towards and move towards. That is the compelling vision for us for the good life. We'll talk about that, how worship does that next week. Um, what are spiritual practices? Uh, the way Paul does, talks about in Colossians 3 is putting off the old self, putting on the new. Um, a few different definitions from some different um, writers on this topic donald whitney says spiritual disciplines are those personal and corporate disciplines that promote spiritual growth they are the habits important word they are habits 
of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. And then more from Willard. Spiritual formation is the process through which those who love and trust Jesus Christ effectively take on his character. This is great. Pay attention to this next sentence. When this process is what it should be, they, that is we, increasingly live our lives as Jesus would if he were in our place. Okay? So the question is, how would Jesus live the life that you've been called to live in all of its uniqueness? Okay? Um, I think that's really helpful the way to think about it, that, that, that we would put on Christ in that way and his character and life would show forth through us. Uh, Calhoun defines this as uh, ways that we give our bodies to unhurried rhythms of grace. Great phrase, rhythms of grace, these kind of these grooves of grace that we kind of get into. Um, so we're availing ourselves constantly to the work of the spirit putting ourselves in the way of God's spirit in that way. We work and pursue those things because God works in us in those ways. And then the purpose, there are multiple purposes here. Quickly, uh, learning from and obeying all that Jesus commanded. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you'll find rest, he says. Um, And the Great Commission, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So we're called to that's part of what it means to make disciples and to become disciples, Uh, worshiping God. Disciplines are intentional ways we open space in our lives for the worship of God. And then another quote from Calhoun is that worship is every discipline's end game. Um, We're called to grow in godliness. First Timothy and second Peter. Uh, Another purpose is that we are being trained for life and mission in the kingdom of God. We're entering into this life of the kingdom. Discipleship is a life of learning from Jesus Christ how to live in the kingdom of God now, as he himself did. And then another helpful quote from Calhoun, goal of Christian life is not so much a set of behaviors as it is an orientation of the soul toward God and his kingdom. And then finally, joyfully loving God and loving people, which Jesus says is the greatest commandment. That's what we're called to do. It's part of our vision statement. So, um, yeah. That, that, that's the, uh, the, the practices, and we'll, uh, we'll articulate those practices for the rest of the semester, pretty much. Um, finally, I want to I end here just briefly with the promise or promises of spiritual formation. Uh, I think it is absolutely vital that we keep this hope and this goal before us as we pursue these disciplines. Um, and recognize the way that the sorts of promises God makes to this end, because I think that that is one of the key ways that we can fall off into legalism and undercut grace and just kind of throw up our hands and be tired of pursuing this because we don't see change. We have to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus and his kingdom and the particular promises he makes. Um, I just started teaching our two older boys how to ride bikes, and they were not at all interested in it. Like, they didn't want to mess with this. It was too much work. Why would I want to do this? Until I said, you know, when you guys learn how to do this, we can ride over to the York's house. We can ride to the Bowles' house. We can ride over to the Pitcock's house. And we can go all over the neighborhood on our bikes. They were all in after that. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was textbook, you know, that you've got to have some sort of motive or hope out in front of you that, that to which you're being pulled towards, that you're driving towards. Um, so these promises that God makes are incredible to us. 
Uh, I won't read the passages here, but God promises to, to that pro- promises that. Sorry, He promises that He's at work in you. Gosh, I butchered that sentence. God promises that He's at work in you, transforming you by His Spirit. Uh, God promises to produce fruit in your life because you're connected to Jesus. These are promises, things he will do. God promises that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 1. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside your body. Isn't that incredible? Uh, God promises that he will complete the work that he's begun in you. He will complete it. We work because God works. God promises to present you holy and blameless. Another way of saying the same thing there. Finally, God promises that you will dwell with him in perfect, glorified, resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21. That is the end game. Okay? Um, So that's a... um, kind of an overview of what what I mean when I say spiritual formation and kind of what, where we're going this semester. Uh, we'll have, next week we'll look at worship. The week after this would be great. Jacob Tilton's going to do some, uh, some stuff on music and formation. Darwin will teach the following week on, uh, on studying scripture and then I'll take the rest of them after that. We'll do another on scripture. Prayer, we'll, we'll talk about silence, solitude, and rest, which may be new concepts um, for us. We'll talk about fasting and feasting. Uh, we'll talk about stewardship and simplicity. And um, we'll talk about sacraments as well. Not in this order. I'm just kind of random all over the place there. But um, there's no kind of complete list of disciplines anywhere. Um, so, uh, but, but these are some of the more common ones that you'd hear talked about. So let me, uh, let me close us in prayer and we'll... Uh, We'll head into worship.